Welcome everybody to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. Today I'm going to lose some subscribers. That's my plan here. I know I still have quite a few hangers on that love Donald Trump. You're not going to enjoy the first half of this episode. So you might want to fast forward to the end if you want to see my interview with Judge Andrew Napolitano. It's a great one as usual. But in the meantime, I have some harsh words for the Don. The Donster. This man... All right, let's start let's start with this. First off, it is unforgivable that he has not promised in his second term that he would do everything in his power to prosecute Fauci. He had an opportunity to fire him. I think people forget this. I don't know why people forget this, but he ha he put Fauci on stage with him every day for months during the summer of 2020. Sometimes he would contradict what Trump said. Sometimes Trump was completely backing what Fauci had to say. But regardless, they worked hand in hand. Trump added to the legitimacy of what I what I consider a complete war criminal in Fauci. So you can't separate those two things. And if you want to separate them, you have to require you have to hold Trump's feet to the fire and say, "Look, man, what you allowed him to do." broke us. It broke our economy. We are in a recession today because of the policies that were made during that period. Everyone wants to put it on Biden. Biden certainly plays his role in destroying the economy and our civilization moreover, too. But it began under Donald Trump. And I am not going to forget it or forgive it unless there are sincere apologies made. And the people involved in misleading him, if he was indeed misled, need to pay a price. And he hasn't even begun to discuss it. Would it be that hard? All of his supporters that are so, you know, anti-mandate and anti-jab moreover. This is red meat. This is red meat to his base. And yet, instead, he goes around bragging about Operation Warp Speed. How do you, how do you square this circle? If you're his supporter, I don't get it. He, he both simultaneously laments the lockdowns, but also presided over them. There has to be some sort of consolidation of this narrative. And at this point, he's trying to play the middle ground with it, where he's basically bad-mouthing Fauci, but he's not explaining what transpired. It takes a very simple explanation if it is true that he was duped. I don't know if it's his ego that, that makes it impossible for him to just acknowledge, look, it was a tumultuous time. I was new, even though he was three years deep. He could write it. He could explain it away to some extent, but he doesn't. And the fact that he doesn't makes me believe perhaps he was in on it. I don't know for a fact. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker did some great research uh, this past week where he explains that the, the fine print in the CDC guidance was actually the, the lockdown order that came in March. And Trump was on stage talking about it, and he was asked during that same press conference if this constituted a lockdown, and Trump denied it. He said, we haven't made that decision. But in the guidance, which Fauci then proceeded to read later on in that very same press conference, he establishes the precedence for lockdowns that all of the governors then ran with. So Trump needs to be asked this directly. He has to own this one way or the other. If he was wise, if he was prudent, he would say, Fauci effed me, and I'm going to 
get to the bottom of why and how, and everybody involved is going to pay a price. Until he does that, he's a non-starter politically. And I know he's tremendously popular, but I'm saying from a, the libertarian vantage point, if you believe that that was one of the most egregious, and I think every libertarian believes this, was one of the most egregious infringements of our rights, broad-based, everything, removed from us, well, then he can't get off the hook for that. And you can say, oh, Biden's so much worse. Sure. Okay. But Trump started this process. He put us in this recession too. Crystal clear. And he has paid no political consequences for it from his base that I can tell. It's bizarre. It's bizarre. And if you think it's just that that's problematic, well, I have some bad news for you. Because the Don was asked about how he would deal with the drug crisis in America. Let's hear what he has to say. We're a war zone. To lead this effort, a joint violent crime task force composed of the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security should be tasked with destroying these organizations. Anybody else remember what the DOJ did under Donald Trump when they stood by and allowed a, a basically a soft coup to be led against him when he was impeached multiple times on his relationship with Russia and Ukraine and how he was trying to get the Biden family investigated in Ukraine. And he's going to turn around and entrust that same organization to have quick trials for drug dealers with the death penalty as the punishment. Let's we'll get to that. It's, I mean, this is just so absurd. If this is what his base wants, they have nothing in common with myself or the libertarian movement. And the penalties should be very, very severe. If you look at countries throughout the world, the ones that don't have a drug problem are those that institute a very quick trial death penalty sentence for drug dealers. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? Oh, you know what else they don't have? They don't have freedom. <laughs> those, those countries actually have something else in common with each other, and that's totalitarianism. Yeah, there are some downsides to freedom, like people overdosing on drugs occasionally. That is not an excuse to eliminate liberty in this country. It's absurd. But you know what? That's the ones that don't have any problem. It doesn't take 15 years in court. It goes quickly, and you absolutely... You execute a drug dealer and you'll save 500 lives because they kill, on average, 500 people. Minor correction there. The drug addicts kill themselves with the drugs. Are we, are we going to remove all responsibility from people's own personal life decisions? Is that where we're at? Are we so paternalistic that we can't entrust people? I mean, are you going to ban alcohol? Drug dealers for, you know, the CEOs of Budweiser? What about Pfizer? Death penalty for everybody? Is this where we're headed? Is that what you want? It's terrible to say, but you take a look at every country in this world that doesn't have a problem with drugs. They have a very strong death penalty for the people that sell drugs. If we're going to stop this scourge. I can't believe he gets an applause line there. Calling for quick trials quick trials with the judicial system, which we all know. Factually, just look at his own supporters on January 6th, what's happened with them going through the court system. 
And you want to entrust the same mechanism to have not slow, but rather quick trials to decide whether or not these people should be put to death. That sounds like a good idea. My God. It's time to get brutally tough on the dealers and traffickers and cartels who are stealing over 200,000 American lives a year. And that's a very low number compared to what the real number is. It's a very no Think of it. 200,000. You don't lose that in wars. You don't lose that in wars. And yes, these drug traffickers should and must receive the death penalty. And I'll tell you, just from dealing with the heads of other countries, I said to President Xi of China, do you have a drug problem? No, no, no. Why do we ask such a question? No. He almost didn't know what I was talking about. No, no. Yeah, as if they are publicizing drug use in China anyways, as if we have any clue what the actual overdose rate is of people in China, not to mention that their culture probably doesn't go along with it. Not to mention they're probably just fighting to survive. <laughs> it's a totally different way of life. It's not really comparable. And why, Mr. I hate China, are we comparing and contrasting and talking about the benefits of the totalitarian rulers within the CCP? Very American ethos to, to propagate here. Good job. I said, why? I said, why do you think? Well, if somebody is selling drugs, they get the quick trial. Quick trial. Never forget. What is quick trial? Meaning it goes fast. And they get the death penalty. But when I asked him, I said, do you have in any way no drug problem? They do have a drug problem. You know what they do? They make drugs and send them into our country. But I had it stopped. That was a drug problem they had. Oh, did he have it stopped? Did he? Because last I checked, we had massive drug overdoses in 2020 during lockdowns. Massive. Skyrocketing. Continuing into 2021 and 2022. So did he stop it? No, he didn't. Just a flat lie. Our border was still wide open during that period, and everybody knows it. Now, you could say that he, he wanted to stop it, but he certainly did not stop it. It's just a flat-out lie. We had it stopped. Now it's bigger fentanyl. They make it, most of it, and they send it through Mexico, through the border. And we had it just about stopped. And now the border, as you know, is just a horrible situation. But you look at Singapore, you look at other countries where they have the death penalty, have no drug problem whatsoever. And if we did that, in one year, even if it was not strong, because it's never going to be quite like China, I would say. What do you think, Kevin? Do you think it will ever be like? I don't think so. No matter what we do, no matter how tough we get, it won't be quite. You know what a quick trial is, right? Two hours. That's what I. Why are they laughing? Why is this humorous? Why is this positive in any fashion? Comparing and contrasting our enforcement of drug laws to the CCP. I, I'm I, like, I'm mind blown by this. I can't even believe it. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people out there that still believe prohibition works, but come on. You, how much history do you need to demonstrate that it doesn't work? That if there is demand, there will be supply. And oftentimes it'll come from the CIA. Please. Not two years, not 20 years. No, we're not going to have that. But just by mere fact that you have that, immediately, Newt, Drug dealing would go down and deaths would go down by at least 50%. 5-0. 5-0. Extraordinarily disappointing.
I don't know what I'm more disappointed by. The fact that Trump would say it or the fact that his audience would applaud it. I mean, the cult of personality with this man is astonishing. If you're hearing that and thinking that it's a solution, you you clearly aren't thinking about what level of statism you have to experience to have that kind of enforcement of prohibition. Am I denying that if you were to put to death any drug dealer with a quick, quick trial, which, by the way, would absolutely end up killing innocent people, and you know that, but do you know what kind of a life experience you would expect with a, a state of that magnitude, of that power? It's not good. It's not by any stretch an American uh, experience. Not one I'd want to experience. Devastatingly sad on, on many fronts. So you pair my intro of his entire history with Fauci and his presiding over the lockdowns, and now you have this kind of totalitarian instinct of wanting to go along with the drug prohibition laws that you might experience in China. And this is the front runner. This is our alternative to Joe Biden and the Democrats. No, thanks. No, thanks. As I said yesterday, as long as those are the two options, I am absolutely riding with the LP. I don't have, I don't have a moral option alternative whatsoever. It's either that or refrain from voting entirely. But at this point, you, you're looking at polar opposites or two sides of the same totalitarian coin. Hard pass. No, thank you. And now that I've thoroughly lost my MAGA audience, let's lose the Biden audience if there's any of you out there. Let's hear from Pierre Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Cody, or whatever her name is. Uh, I can't remember her name. Jean-Pierre, whatever. The uh, spokeshole for the Biden administration talking about the definition of recession. So how news speaky, how Orwellian is this going to be? Where we are today. If things are going so great, though, then why is it the White House officials are trying to redefine recession? No, we're not redefining recession. If we all understand a recession to be two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in a row, and then you have White House officials come up here to say, no, 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 that's not what a recession is. It's something else. How is that not redefining recession? Because that's not the definition. That is not the definition. Brian Deese said in 2008, of course, economists have a technical definition, which is of a recession, which is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. I can tell and you this. He said two, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not the technical definition of recession. It is what not. Changed? It is not. Why did he say that? It, it is was, not. I can I can speak to I can speak to you to what he said yesterday in front of all of you, which is the last thing that you just repeated. There are many factors. There are many factors, economic factors and indicators to consider, uh, and. I will say that uh, the textbook definition of recession is not is not two negative quarters of GDP. We have a strong labor market. We have business. I'm sorry, but this is, I can't handle living in 1984 anymore. I can't handle it. Stop changing the definition of things. First, it was the jab you changed the definition on. Now it's recession. I mean, not to mention man, woman, child, every, every, every definition. Every definition is is up for revisionism. How? 
how are we allowing ourselves to be ruled by people that just change the change literal dictionary definitions if you go there's wikipedia entries dozens of wikipedia entries over the past week where they are revising as furiously as possible the definition of a recession look you can lie about it all you want the economy is going to do what it's going to do regardless of what you say about it if we can't afford to buy food we're in a recession that's how it works whether your dictionary definition whether two quarters of negative G gdp growth is that i don't really care i think we've been in a recession for quite a while in fact and what really disturbs me about this is that what should have occurred when you locked down the economy is that people should have stopped spending money because they realized, hey, I don't have an income during this period. And then supply and demand would have stayed in alignment with one another to some extent. I mean, you still would have had suffering, but at least the supply would have kept up with the demand because if people aren't making enough income, they're not going to purchase as many goods. That lowers the demand for goods, which allows the supply, which is also reduced because you have so many fewer people actually producing goods, they stay in alignment. You don't end up in some sort of inflationary or deflationary crisis to a large extent. But what we did instead was we helicoptered money to people so that they could continue to buy goods that they otherwise would not have been able to, which added to demand while the supply plummeted. That, my dear friends, that gap is inflationary. That paired with the trillions that were put out is inflationary. Both price inflationary as well as monetary. It's not very complicated. And on top of that, like as bad as things are in America, I want you guys to consider this. This is truly mind-blowing stuff. The Fed funds rate in America after this latest three-quarter rate hike will be at 2.25, give or take, which is still historically pretty low, very low, actually. But the ECB, that's the European Central Bank, negative 0.25%. They are charging you money if you sit on it in, in Europe. So we have a two and a half point spread between our Fed funds rate and Europe's Fed funds rate, just to put a term to it. On top of that, the ECB has had under, I'm sorry, not the ECB, but rather the Eurozone has had under 1% annualized growth since 2008. They have been in a stagflationary hellscape for the past 15 years almost on top of that they now have a fl inflation according to their figures which are almost certainly lies just as our inflation figures are around 10 percent and this is before the recession has really taken hold on top of that their debt to gdp ratio across the euro you know basket is about a hundred percent which is lower than America, but when you consider it's all those countries, that's pretty astonishing. On top of that, they're not the reserve currency of the world like we are. So they can't outsource much of their inflation the way we do. And then on top of that, <laughs> sorry, this list goes on and on. German energy prices are up 7x year over year. So the average German is paying seven times their electricity bill over the past year. And then on top of that, you still have them proceeding with their 
Agenda 2030, where they have a hard cap on emissions from today until the year 2030. ESG is still proceeding swimmingly over there. And by swimmingly, I mean their people are going to starve and freeze and melt to death because they don't have enough energy to run AC or heaters, or at least they can't afford it. And this is all while Russia has severely reduced the energy uh, supplies to them, both because they're backing the Ukrainian military with weapons and money, but also because of the sanctions that they put against Russia. So it's a retali retaliatory setup. My, my personal vantage point on this is that Europe is a clear window into our future. And the reason I bring it up, I'm, I do have some European listeners, but from the American perspective, this is a warning. This is what not to do. And we have been following in their footsteps pretty much every step of the way. Or they've been following in ours when it comes to backing Ukraine against Russia. So it's now or never, folks. Like we have to separate our paths. Due to relative strength, I, I imagine that much Euro investment capital will flood into the U.S. system. I heard that there was a, a, a barn burner of a seven-year treasury uh, auction today where people are scrambling for yield as the recession becomes harder and harder to ignore. And I think that's what we're going to witness is we're going to see more uh, capital from the Eurozone flood into the U.S. treasuries, which will help with our debt carry. It'll help keep interest rates lower for us. So on a relative strength basis, we may we may buy ourselves a little bit of time just because the rest of the world is falling apart, but this is not sustainable. This is not a, not a future that I'm looking forward to. I think Europe is absolutely fucked, to put it bluntly. Like, absolutely fucked. Just last year, Germany shut down two of their additional, I think may have been their only remaining, but two more uh, nuclear power plants. This is while they're dealing with severe recessionary pressures. This is while they're coming out of a quote-unquote pandemic and lockdowns. And you're going to make it harder to energize your economy? This is suicide. It is planned, centrally planned global suicide. And I want nothing to do with it. And I feel powerless. I feel absolutely powerless to stop it. I call it out every day. I point it out every day. I'm telling everybody that I can possibly get their ears to listen, to say, look, look, this is what these people believe. It is an anti-human death cult, crystal clear, clear as day. They don't want us to be able to feed ourselves. And if we can manage to get enough nutrition, they want it to come from bugs. And I'm not exaggerating. They think that steak and chicken and anything else that farts is too dangerous for us to be consuming, even though it's clearly the most healthy things we can possibly eat to maintain our body mass, build muscle, survive. No, no. Crickets. Maggots. That's what they envision for our, our diet moving forward. To which I say, fuck you, no. Not going to happen. And this is also why I say it becomes more and more important day after day that we become self-sustaining when it comes to our food development and our energy production and everything else we can possibly do to become more autonomous 
in what is vitally necessary for us to survive and maintain any semblance of the lifestyle that we've been become accustomed to over our lifetimes. It's that serious. And these people are dead set on it and beyond, you know, revolutions that are popping up in Sri Lanka and it looks like maybe the Netherlands. I mean, it may, it may be too late for those people. And if we don't stop it soon, like yesterday, it may be too late for us. So I'll find some way to spin this positively and humorously, but in the meantime, I am very concerned. <laughs> just, just very concerned. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I can't put it in a, in a more uh, gleeful fashion, but it's just, it's that serious. And I don't understand it. I don't understand how the American people, the European people are going along with this. At some point, you need to realize that you're being lied to about the carbon emission cult mentality and the green cult and the green new deal and the great reset. I mean, it is all counter to what you actually are going to want to experience in your life. So it's time to act like it. You guys remember that handsome devil from that, uh, that Vogue ad shoot from this past week, you know, Vladimir Zelensky and his wife. Yeah. Let's hear what he has to say about Americans uh, attitudes when it comes to inflation and COVID. This will, this will make you feel really appreciated for having, you know, contributed $80 billion of our stolen tax dollars to his fucking war. See what he has to say. The Ukrainian leader said that helping his country should be more important for Americans than domestic concerns. It isn't. Go fuck yourself. Uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has told British broadcaster Piers Morgan that inflation and coronavirus are nothing compared to Ukraine's struggle and Americans should, should support aid for Kiev until we win, end quote. Uh, well, I'll grant you, it is nothing compared to what the Ukrainian people are going through. But I don't care. Okay? Can I say it any more crystal clear than that? I don't care what suffering is, is being experienced in your country because this is a product of my government and your dumbass, as well as Vladimir Putin, that has nothing to do with me. And the same way I don't really give a shit about anyone in some other country that I've never met in my life, I don't really care what's happening over there because the global economy matters more than your civil war. It does. Because more people will die if we can't feed them. Like, billions of people will die. So as heartbreaking as it is as what's, uh, you know, what the Ukrainian people are going through, comparatively, completely irrelevant. It continues. As the U.S. grapples with a 40-year high inflation rate and record gas prices, multiple polls name these economic concerns as more pressing among Americans than the conflict in Ukraine. Oh, sane people. Cool. Uh, furthermore, nearly five times as many people in the U.S. blame President Joe Biden's policies for their misfortune as Russian President Vladimir Putin, regardless of the Biden administration's effort to brand the soaring cost of living as Putin's price hike. Wow. People are actually paying attention. I'm genu genuinely surprised. Speaking to Morgan in a recently taped TV interview, Zelensky reminded Americans fed up with the flow of aid to Ukraine more than 56 billion since February that both countries are fighting for absolute, absolutely communal values. I'm not in your community, brother. This is some globalist fucking garbage. I, I am not in Vladimir Zelensky's community. I don't know you, and I certainly don't give a fuck about you. The war in Ukraine is still the war against those values that are professed in the United States and in Europe. Sure it is. Uh, he told Morgan, according to the write-up in the New York Post, we are giving our lives for your values and the joint security of the world. Giving <laughs> giving your lives for our values? Uh, no. No, I don't think so. 
continues. Therefore, inflation is nothing. COVID is nothing, he continued. These things are secondary. The most important thing is to survive and preserve your life, your family, and your country. Therefore, at the moment, we are doing this job, but the West has to help us. Kiev has said that it needs up to $65 billion in foreign aid this year just to stay afloat. We already gave you that much. They need that much more? Good Lord. While Zelensky's advisors have requested increasingly massive arms donations from the West, earlier this month, Ukrainian Defense Minister Alexei Reznikov said that Ukraine's military needs at least 100 U.S.-made HIMARS rockets. Sorry if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Uh, artillery systems. Around a third of the U.S. entire stockpile. Very cool. Yes, let's disarm ourselves to help Ukraine. Good Lord. Uh, to conduct an effective counteroffensive against Russian forces. So a counteroffensive. Fascinating. Because an offensive implies not a defensive war, if I'm not mistaken. Which would mean perhaps he's implying or hinting strongly at some sort of counter-invasion into Russian territory. And we're going to we're going to arm them in that effort? Well, that is clearly crossing a red line into World War III territory. No thanks. Continues. Zelensky told Morgan that he expects unlimited support from the West, declaring that, quote, the help will not be sufficient until the war is over and until we win, end quote. While the majority of Republican lawmakers voted with their de Democratic colleagues in May to allocate $43 billion in military and economic aid to Ukraine, there are signs that conservatives are growing tired of underwriting Zelensky's military. Good. I hope so. Former President Donald Trump has accused Biden of walking the U.S. into World War III. Well, there's... See, then Trump goes and says something good like that. It drives me crazy. While conservative pundit Tucker Carlson has condemned his administration for propping up corrupt and tyrannical... Uh, what's it say? Oh, it's blacked out. Client state. Yeah. Well, Tucker's right. So is Trump there. It's, uh, I just can't, I can't even believe it. I can't believe we're in a position where we have politicians that we elected who are willing to, I mean, while we are in a recession, which we are, um, to send billions and billions, tens and tens and tens of billions, not to mention all of the military equipment, not to mention all of the training, surveillance ability. I mean, there's costs involved with this that you'll never know about. But it's way bigger than what we've been told. I can assure you of that. And on top of those costs, we're in a recession, probably depression. And it's against a nuclear-armed power. The only country on Earth that has more nukes than us. And this doesn't sound like a suicidal plan to you? You're wondering if it's just us, you know, Russian-backed news outlets like Liberty Lockdown. Apparently, NPR has recently received funding from the Russian military. It says corruption concerns involving Ukraine are revived as the war with Russia drags on. This is July 20th. So just a week ago, the AP comes out as a Russian toady. It says Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's dismissal of senior officials is casting an inconvenient light on an issue that the Biden administration has largely ignored since the outbreak of war with Russia, Ukraine's history of rampant corruption and shaky governance. Exactly what I've discussed with Scott Horton. Exactly what I've discussed with Laura Logan. Exactly what I've discussed with Judge Andrew DiPolitano and numerous other guests. It's well known. This is not historical revisionism. It was reported in the New York Times, for God's sakes, prior to Russia's invasion. Everyone was on board with this. But now... Finally, NPR is coming out and talking about it. Bizarre. Totally bizarre. As it presses ahead with providing tens of billions of dollars in military economic 
American direct financial support aid to Ukraine and encourages its allies to do the same. The Biden administration is now once again grappling with longstanding worries about Ukraine's stability as a recipient of massive infusions of American aid. Those issues, which date back decades, were not an insignificant part of former President Donald Trump's first impeachment, exactly, as I mentioned earlier, had been largely pushed to the back burner in the immediate run-up to Russia's invasion and direct during the first months of the conflict as the U.S. and its partners rallied to Ukraine's defense. But Zelensky's weekend five as top prosecutor, intelligence chief, and senior officials have resurfaced those concerns and may have inadvertently given attention to patients of high-level corruption in Kiev made by one outspoken U.S. lawmaker. It's a delicate issue for the Biden administration with billions in aid flowing to Ukraine. The White House continues to make the case for supporting Zelensky's government to an American public increasingly focused on domestic issues like high gas prices and inflation. High-profile supporters of Ukraine and both parties also want to avoid a backlash that could make it more difficult to pass future aid packages. U.S. officials are quick to say that Zelensky is well within his right to appoint whoever he wants to senior positions, including the Secretary General, and remove anyone who he sees as collaborating with Russia. So I guess that's his his excuse. The same excuse that uh, the <laughs> the DNC uses in America that anytime someone is uh, something you're not allowed to say or they don't say, well, they're collaborating with Russia. I'm glad that he has learned from us and we are backing him in that process. No corruption to be found here. Continues, yet even as Russian troops were massing near the Ukrainian border last fall, the Biden administration was pushing Zelensky to do more to act on corruption, a perennial U.S. demand going back to Ukraine's early days of independence. Oh, I remember when we were we were demanding that they act on corruption. <laughs> that was when Donald Trump contacted, I forget his name, uh, demanding that they investigate Biden's involvement with that corruption over there. Interesting. Interesting. It says, quote, in all, all our relationships and including in this relationship, we invest not in personalities, we invest in institutions. And of course, President Zelensky has spoken to his rationale for making those personnel shifts, State Department spokesman Ned Price told reporters on Monday. What a what a shill that guy is. Price declined to comment further on Zelensky's reasoning for the dismissals or address the specifics, but said there was no question that Russia had been trying to interfere in Ukraine. Of course, just as there was no question that they in interfered in the U.S. elections. Quote, Moscow has long sought to subvert, to destabilize the Ukrainian government, Price said. Ever since Ukraine chose the path of democracy and a Western orientation, this has been something that Moscow has sought to subvert. Still, in October and then again in December 2021, as the U.S. and others were warning of the increasing potential for a Russian invasion, the Biden administration was calling out Zelensky's government for inaction on corruption that had little or nothing to do with Russia. The EU and the U.S. are greatly disappointed by unexplained and unjustifiable delays in the selection of the head of the Specialized Anti-Corruption Prosecutor's Office, a crucial body in the fight against high-level corruption, the U.S. Embassy in Kiev said on October 9th, just months before the invasion. We urge the selection committee to resume its work without further delays. Failure to move forward in the selection process undermines the work of anti-corruption agencies established by Ukraine and its international partners, it said. That special prosecutor was finally chosen in late December, but was never actually appointed to the position. Oh, oops. Although there are indications the appointment will happen soon. That's <laughs> we're six months into the war. The dismissal of the prosecutor general could complicate the matter. Yeah, no shit. They're not going to do anything we say because they're doing our bidding. They are fighting back against Russia at our direct command, and everybody knows it. The administration and high-profile lawmakers have avoided public criticism of Ukraine since Russia invaded in February. The U.S. has ramped up the weapons and intelligence it's providing to Ukraine despite early concerns about Russia's penetration of the Ukrainian government and existing concerns about corruption. Good God. The Ukrainian-born Congresswoman who came to prominence early in the war recently broke that unofficial silence 
Representative Victoria Sparks, a first-time Republican from Indiana, has made half a dozen visits to Ukraine since the war began, and she was invited to the White House in May and re received a pen used by President Joe Biden to sign an aid package for Ukraine, even after she angrily criticized Biden for not doing more to help. But in recent weeks, Sparks has accused Zelensky of playing politics and alleged his top eight, Andriy Yermak, had sabotaged Ukraine's defense against Russia. She's also repeatedly called on Ukraine to name the anti-corruption prosecutor, blaming Yermak for the delay. Ukrainian officials have hit back. A statement from Ukraine's foreign ministry, uh, foreign ministry accused Sparks of spreading, quote, Russian propaganda and warned her to stop trying to earn political capital on baseless speculation. Incredible. So this, this Republican congresswoman, who is full, full bore backing Ukraine and backing monetarily to give them support, to give them arms, everything else, she comes out and just says, hey, are we still going to get that corruption czar over there to make sure that you know this money is actually spent in their defense? And even that is adequate to define her as a Russian propagandist. You're never pure enough. Never, ever. Anyways, I'll stop sharing that one. That's, oh my God. <laughs> this is hell. We live in hell. Ah, all right. I got some uh, some good news for you. Governor Ron DeSantis, who upset me today or this past week with his declaration that they're going to be increasing mandatory minimum, minimums for fentanyl uh, distri distributors, drug dealers. Mandatory minimums are extraordinarily dangerous. They're not much less uh, you know, freedom infringing than quick trials and death penalties, as his competitor Donald Trump wants to uh, discuss, a.k.a. make happen. And I can't help but wonder if Trump isn't responding to DeSantis coming out with these mandatory minimum laws when it comes to uh, the use of those drugs and saying, well, you think he's tough? Look at me. I'm CCP totalitarian tough on drug dealers. It's so it's so sick. But credit where due. You know, ESG is my my baby. It's probably the biggest concern I have besides depression in World War III. Uh, I think that I mean, well, ESG plays a part in both of those, but we'll leave that aside. He has come out with a plan, a, a state-level plan by the, the governorship to fight back against ESG. And I wanted to play this interview uh, that he, or this press conference that he did on it. I can't, I can't find much wrong with it. I can't. I wish I could. I can't. I appreciate it. I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I appreciate it. So here we go. But before I do that, I want to thank our sponsor as always. And now that the recession is unofficially official, it's really important that you guys take some action if you haven't already. I know hundreds of you have already signed up and that's great. And I hope that many of you are already in a position where your career is rock solid. If it isn't, careerhackers.com is a free resource, free to you, where you can actually prepare and better yet take action in becoming a better job applicant. They are the creators of the Daily Job Hunt Go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the daily job hunt. All you have to do is give them your email address. They send it to you every day. It doesn't cost you anything. It's also, you can unsubscribe anytime once you're on that, that better career path. But in the meantime, just to prepare, just to get yourself on better footing and to give yourself some sort of competitive advantage when it comes to what will become an increasingly competitive job market, go to careerhackers.com. That uh, we're gonna take some action administratively, but we're gonna work with Speaker Renner to make sure that we have statutory reforms uh, so that uh, we're putting the people of Florida uh, first and we're gonna do what's in their best interest, not whatever the delusions 
of some wealthy woke CEO wants to do. So that means a number of things. One, we're going to prohibit the state board of administration fund managers, which is the state board of administration is the state of Florida's entity that manages the state of Florida's pension funds. So, you know, it's over, it's close to 200 billion. It was probably 200 billion. The market's gone down. So it's, um, but it's a lot of money. Uh, and so we want to make sure that they are not using political factors when investing the state's money. We want them to invest the state's money for the best interest of the beneficiaries of those funds, which is again, the people that are retired cops and teachers and other, other public employees. I mean, this is such a, such an obvious answer because so much of the, the funds that state street, BlackRock, Vanguard, all these big boys are, are managing comes from pensions. And if you have, if you're a, a red state governor or even a, a based red pill Democrat governor that understands that this is all greenwashing garbage, this is, this is a slam dunk. It really is. I mean, this is in his purview. He's not taking any additional powers and he's just saying, look, if you're going to be managing our pension funds, our hundreds of billions of dollars, you got to do it with a fiduciary mindset. It has to be at their to their benefit and not to some nonsensical green woke agenda. Brilliant stuff. Shout out to Christina Peshaw or whoever, whoever, James Lindsay, whoever got in Governor DeSantis's ear. This is good, good progress. Uh, we also are going to require SBA fund managers uh, to only consider maximizing the return on investment on behalf of Florida's retirees. I think that's what people want to see. They want to see a good pension system. Uh, we also are going to prohibit Wall Street banks, credit card companies, and money transmitters like PayPal from discriminating against customers for their religious, political, or social beliefs. This is an interesting one. And, you know, knee-jerk reaction, I know a lot of libertarians are going to say, well, that's a violation of, you know, a business's own autonomy to decide. Look, I hear you, but if, if you have the Civil Rights Act on the books, this is, as far as I'm concerned, a constitutional methodology in order to prevent businesses from super nuking, you know, the Alex Jones of the world and people like that, or us at some point. Um, I'm not saying it's a perfect solution, but as far as status solutions go, I don't see much downside. I'm sure some of the more autistic libertarians out there will fire back with all sorts of reasons that this is anti-liberty. Uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to hash that out in the future, but I'm telling you in the interim, given the propagation of ESG and the, the mechanisms for control that it utilizes to get these big businesses to do the bidding of the worst globalist elitist technocrats on earth, I think it's a pretty minor pushback and, and a meaningful one ultimately that if, if you want to do business, you know, if you're PayPal and you want to do business in the state of Florida, which I'm sure you do, uh, you're not going to be able to ban people for their political or religious beliefs. Whew, I'm going to get some hate. I'm going to get hate from Democrats, libertarians, and Republicans on this episode, which means, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing great. They're using things like social credit scores to be able to marginalize people that they don't like. And we'll hear from uh, some folks that, that, that have experience uh, with that. But the thing about the politicization uh, of the economy in this way, it benefits 
the largest, most powerful corporations, and it disadvantages the small and medium-sized businesses. And so this is not something that is empowering kind of the little guy. You know, this is something in many respects that is crushing the little guy. And so we want to make sure that we're standing on the side uh, of, of average people. I love it. Sorry if that makes me not a libertarian. <laughs> I don't really care. I love it. I think that that's exactly the types of steps that red state governors need to be taking to fight this stuff. I don't see how we went otherwise. And, you know, can it can it lead to some sort of terrible totalitarian nightmare from the right wing? Maybe. I don't know how, you know, banning them from banning us ultimately is to our detriment long term. I mean, you already have laws on the books that prevent discrimination when it comes to hiring and and firing and uh, and even who you're willing or unwilling to serve. When it, but it's it's always been basically about race after the civil rights movement. But now the the primary driver for suppression and division in this country is based off of politics and still to an extent race. But now it's white people as opposed to minorities. And I just think that like as as sad as it is to think that there needs to be a status answer to this. We're dealing with state-created problems. I mean, they don't represent themselves as a state, but don't get it twisted. When you're talking about the World Economic Forum, you have all of the biggest politicians on the planet meeting there in Davos, not to mention the United Nations, which is a supranational governmental organization. I mean, it really is. So there's government involved with pushing all this. It's not dissimilar to the vaccine mandates that came from the federal government you know, telling the state governors to do it. It's like, okay, well, they didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't make it law. I mean, they did in some regards, but in other regards, it was just kind of browbeating and lip service that, you know, Biden was, and Trump were putting on, well, actually it was really Biden was putting on the state governors to, you know, proceed with mandates and things of that nature. And I think that if you have a higher level government that is, pushing anti-liberty policy making to a lower level government, it's okay with me if that lower level government throws it off and says, nope, nope. It's going to be interesting to see how people respond to my take on that one. But I, I think I think I'm right. Sorry, I do. I think I'm right. Uh, before we bring in Judge Knapp, I want to thank our other sponsor. If you are interested in becoming an expat, and after you watch this episode, you may very much want to get out of the country. Uh, but you know, if you're in Europe, you're doing worse. So don't feel so bad, Americans. Uh, but if you're interested in just having a plan B, check out Expat Money Summit. It is an upcoming online summit by my friend Mikkel Thorup from expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend, costs you nothing. Go to expatmoneysummit.com, reclaim your freedom from chaos. And topics will include at this free online summit, how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, 
where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You'll also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Ron Paul will be at this summit. You hear me? Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. Let's bring in Judge Knapp. Without further ado, here we go. And we are back with Judge Knapp. As always, every Thursday, you know where to tune in to find him. And if you're not finding him here, you can find him on his own show, which he has had on. Go ahead and tell some of the, the star-studded lineup you've had over the past couple of weeks. Well, you know, the uh, and uh, hello, Clint. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for asking. Uh, the show is, of course, Judging Freedom. You can get it on uh, YouTube or almost anywhere. I'm I'm a star. I'm an influencer on something I didn't know existed six months ago, which is TikTok. <laughs> but anyway, you know, one, one of my um, sort of pop-up podcasts, which I did from a street corner in Zurich, Switzerland, on the Supreme Court's six to three decision upholding the right to carry uh, guns outside the house, got a million four viewers in 24 hours on TikTok. Wow. Uh, my long form uh, guests, my regulars are real tentpoles. I mean, they they drive the ratings and my, my libertarian viewers like yours love them. And that's Scott Ritter, uh, Phil Giraldi and Colonel Douglas McGregor. Colonel McGregor will be on with me at one o'clock Eastern uh, today. They provide an analysis of the intel and the military activities in uh, Ukraine, unlike anything you see on mainstream media. Everything they've predicted uh, has happened. Uh, their criticisms of the Biden administration and Anthony Blinken and the, the nationalist globalists in Western Europe that want to fight a proxy war uh, against Vladimir Putin are spot on. And I love talking to them. They speak with clarity, and my my listeners are crazy about them. Well, I, and I am one of those listeners, so let's hop right into it. That's a perfect lead-in. I wanted to get your latest assessment after talking to these people who have real intimate knowledge of what's occurring in Ukraine. Can you give my audience any update, kind of a Cliff's Notes version as to what well, you think happening over there? Sure. I mean, the Cliff, uh, Cliff's Note version is that the regular Russian army is back in Russia relaxing, and sort of the second team uh, is in Ukraine, that Russia has uh, established the, the, the land that it has argued is truly part of Russia uh, and is probably not going to go farther unless they're forced to. <clears throat> By forced to would mean because American military equipment, maybe even American fighter jets, perhaps even, God forbid, American troops on the ground. Look at this guy, he wants to get... Chris, come here. <laughs> my, my Chris is as much a camera hog as his master is, and now he's all over me, but he's, he's too small to get up the size so the camera can see him. I'll get him up. Um, um, you know, Russia has effectively won the war, and the only reason it's being prolonged uh, is because uh, Ukraine has become a vassal state uh, of the United States. I mean, we sent them... Uh, close to 60 billion in cash and military equipment their total military their total governmental budget is only uh 45 billion 
and now they want more. And now the secretary of the army said at a private meeting, but somebody, you know, caught it on their uh, mobile phone uh, last week that we are preparing to send American fighter jets. Now, only American pilots know how to use American fighter jets. They, they can train Ukraine pilots. It will take months and months to train them. And in order to train them, they got to fly it and they got to fly it somewhere. So that probably means uh, Poland. But again, we keep provoking and provoking Putin. I'm not an apologist for Putin. I think he's a butcher. But mm -hmm. I also think uh, he's a brilliant tactician. The 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 um, sanctions have hurt us more than they've hurt him. He's uh, immensely uh, popular. And this part of Ukraine has been Russia, Ukraine, Russia, Ukraine, Soviet Union, Ukraine, Soviet Union, Ukraine. This has been going on for 250 years. Why we should be involved in this is only because the globalists, the Lindsey Grahams and the Republican Party, the Tony Blinkens and the Democrat Party love war. Yeah, it certainly seems to be that clear. But what, if, if Russia is clearly winning this war, what is the purpose in prolonging it, in your opinion? Well, the the globalists, you know, Tony Blinken and the Secretary of State and his colleagues in uh, in Western Europe uh, want NATO to be the dominant uh, uh, entity in that part of the world. They hate Putin and they think they can drive him out. They think they can weaken Russia. So they, they genuinely believe that they, they can win this. Yeah, they you do. Know. And okay. I, I also believe, and, and again, this is from... Uh, Phil Giraldi. Phil Giraldi is the uh, former senior CIA official who told George W. Bush that Saddam Hussein did not have weapons of mass destruction, and Bush threw him out of the Oval Office, and Giraldi resigned from the CIA the next day. So you're talking about a PhD from the University of Chicago. You're talking about an extremely bright and extremely courageous person who was telling me and telling my audience uh, which includes a lot of your audience, thank you, sure. that um, the uh, CIA and other intelligence entities are telling Joe Biden what they think he wants to hear, not what they know to be so. That's reprehensible, absolutely uh, reprehensible. But that's the way you get ahead in the intel community. You tell your bosses what you think they want to hear, whether it's the truth or not. Well, this is now the, the second presidential term where we had uh, people within the military and advisors that have lied directly to the president. You had in Syria, uh, Donald Trump was lied to about the troop count because he was he wanted it to be reduced, and the the generals over there just flatly lied to him. Is this is this a long running issue that you're aware of, or is this kind of a, a modern problem? I have no idea. Well, the CIA is relatively modern. I mean, 1947, that's before you and I were born, but it's, you know, post-World War II. Sure. Um, it, it's not a novel issue. It's been going on for years. I don't know what they told Harry Truman or Dwight Eisenhower or JFK. Right. But we know that they were lying as, as far back in history as Vietnam and LBJ. That we know from the Pentagon Papers. That's true. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's let's uh, get off Ukraine for a minute uh, and talk about the other potential front for a nuclear war. Uh, Nancy Pelosi has a, a trip planned to Taiwan. Uh, as far as I've heard, she has not canceled it. She is still uh, proceeding with it. 
China has repeatedly said, this is our red line. If you fly to, to uh, Taiwan, we will consider that, you know, we will take military response. They're, they're very vague. We don't have any idea what it actually entails, or at least I don't have any idea what it entails. Uh, why are we doing this? Is this, is this just a, you know, I, piss, I, I contest or what? I don't know why she's doing this. You know, she's, she's not a neocon. She loves war uh, from the left, but again, I'll use Senator Graham. I don't mean to pick on him, but that he's, he's rejoicing as are, you know, he and the Mike Pompeo's of the world are rejoicing uh, that she wants to go because they either want to provoke uh, China or they want to manifest to Taiwan that we will back them up when China decides that they're really uh, a part uh, of China. I mean, all this goes back to Jimmy Gre uh, Carter abrogating uh, a treaty that uh, I guess was signed by Eisenhower and confirmed by the uh, by the Senate, recognizing Taiwan as the as the true government of China. Well, we know that that is not the case militarily or economically. Now, Taiwan is, as we speak, an independent country, self-sufficient militarily, extremely prosperous uh, economically. But why this liberal Democrat from California wants to go other than to provoke these people or maybe win some of them over. I don't know, maybe she's got some cockamamie idea that if the Republicans take the House, there are certain Republicans that will still vote for her to be Speaker. So mm. if she gets all the Democrats and a dozen Republicans to vote for her, she could be Speaker again. I don't know what's going through her head. You know, I right. sat next to her once on a transatlantic or transcontinental flight from DC to San Francisco. That's wild. She couldn't have been nicer. I mean, she looked at me, she goes, can we discuss anything but politics? I said, Madam Speaker, we can discuss whatever you want. How many guys in the plane are carrying guns? She goes, did you have to go there? I said, well, I saw them get on the, I saw them get on the plane with you. And then she says to me, well, how did you enjoy Auberge du Soleil? Auberge du Soleil is a five-star, top-of-the-line, magnificent resort in the Napa Valley that I had visited two years before, and she knew that I was there. How did she know I was there? Her husband owns it. Oh, my God. And she must get a list of people that go there that, that management thinks she should know about. <laughs> See, so you're and then it turned out we have a priest who's a mutual friend who was about to marry her daughter. I mean, there's another side to these people, and the fact that we didn't talk about politics... Right. He's more interested in the San Francisco 49ers versus the New York Giants football game than she was politics. It shows that, you know, they're human as well. Of uh, course. Politically, politically, she's off the wall. So you know, <laughs> I can't tell you why she wants to go to Taiwan at a time like this. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, you're you're a much kinder person than, than I. I would have absolutely used that opportunity to ask her for some insider trading uh, tips oh, to God. help with my portfolio. <laughs> Uh, you know, so, my own home, my own home congressman, who's a conservative Democrat, Josh Gottheimer, is now caught up and he bought a, a lot of stock in one of these computer chip companies, knowing the Congress was about to give them $200 billion. Guess what? Game. That's legal. The insider yeah. trading laws don't apply to them. Only applies yeah. to the rest of us. Yeah. When Newt Gingrich on the so-called contract with America said they were going to make sure that all the laws that apply to everybody all applied also apply to Congress. They forgot to change that one. Forgot. <laughs>
to change that one. Just just a minor oversight. Uh, <laughs> speaking of oversight, we have uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which was, I guess, passed yesterday, uh, constitutes all sorts of money. <laughs> $369 I, billion, dollars, which, which old Joe, both old Joes, Manchin and Biden, Nancy and the crew. This is, this is going to pass with just Democrats because they'll they'll pull that shenanigan in the House that they pulled when they passed uh, Obamacare that gets rid of the uh, filibuster. Mm. Uh, they honestly think that by spending money that the government doesn't have, they can stop inflation. This is 180 degrees from where they should be thinking. There's only one cause of inflation, only one. Too much money chasing too few goods. That's the only cause of inflation. And only the government causes inflation. So they're going to make this, this situation far worse. They actually claim that they're going to reduce the deficit by $300 billion. Where are they going to get the $300 billion? They're going to borrow it. That's crazy. But <laughs> borrowing and spending, they cause inflation. And they're going to tell the American public that by borrowing and spending, they're going to reduce inflation. It's just madness, Clint. Everybody watching and listening to us now knows that. I would imagine the Democrats themselves know it. But but their uh, people are subservient to the government, so they'll believe what the government tells them when they see greenbacks all over the place. Well, I think it's it's kind of fascinating. You know, they're, they are going to spend more money, but they're also simultaneously blaming the Federal Reserve for the recession because the Fed is in response having to hike interest rates to try and take some of the liquidity out of the market so that people stop borrowing so aggressively. It seems to me that what this will amount to is booing of whatever is the chosen investment class of this bailout bill, while us, the consumer, the average man, once again suffers. So the Cantillon effect, the the you know uh, income inequality issues that the left loves to lament will be increased during this period as it has been significantly over the past two years is there Precisely anything because, off with because inflation year? doesn't happen overnight and the first people who receive the government funds whether it's uh, jp morgan chase or bank of america or paul pelosi the first people that receive this this government these government funds get the dollars at their real value before they start to shrink in value so you're right Clint, even the problems that the left and Mrs. Pelosi claim they'll be solving, even the social problems, they're going to exacerbate and exacerbate deeply. Yeah. But well, they, they, the, the exacerbation might not be effective until after November. That's what they care about now, November, November, November. And they, they now think, particularly with the Supreme Court ruling on the right to carry and the Supreme Court ruling on abortion, and now Joe Biden uh, back in their uh, camp so they can spend this $370 billion. They now think they have a, a, a shot uh, at con retaining control uh, of the Congress and increasing their numbers in the Senate, actually, uh, in November. So they want to start spending this money right away before it, it makes inflation even worse than it already is. Right. It's, it's uh, deceptive. It's devious. It's wrong. Uh, it's immoral. It's unconstitutional. Well, the Fed is unconstitutional. Uh, though no challenge to it has ever made its way to the Supreme Court.
but it's all lawful uh, under the, the crazy rules under which we operate. All, all this stuff they can do. They can borrow money to uh, reduce the debt, to pay back borrowed money and claim they're reducing the debt when they're actually enhancing the debt because the cost of borrowing money today is a lot more than the cost of borrowing money when they borrowed the money that they now want to pay back, if you follow me. No, I absolutely follow you. Uh, as a former mortgage broker, I get that intimately. It's, it's, I mean, definitionally kicking the can and, and once again, mortgaging the average man's future to buy them some, you know, minor increase in the polls leading into these midterms, which it's just, it's just devastating that we have a political class that is so short-sighted that they have, I mean, not only today, but basically my entire life, well, absolutely my entire life and much longer has done this. They have just mortgaged the people's future for their own political benefit. And I don't see that that trend changing. I, obviously, there there's this, uh, you know, what, what Biden administration calls them, the the ultra magas, <laughs> which, which from my vantage point, they at least give lip service to some of the things I care about. Uh, do yeah. you think that that there's any hope that the the modern conservative party becomes kind of a a libertarian light? Well, I would love that. I mean, the last time a a so-called conservative, I don't know what Trump was. I mean, Trump spent a tri two trillion more than he took in. There's nothing conservative about that. George right. Bush did that before the war. Trump fought a couple of pinprick wars. He killed some people with drones, which is immoral, unconstitutional, unlawful, and criminal. But they're not these huge trillion-dollar wars like, exactly. uh, like Bush uh, fought. The conservatives love to spend money when it's on their things. They're, they're no more um, uh, Austrian economic, two plus two equals four, rather than two plus two equals 22 than the Democrats are. Only the Ron Pauls, the Thomas Masseys, the Rand Pauls of the world uh, believe that the government has to stay and spend only uh, within its means. So I don't know yeah. where any of this is going to go. In your world and in my world, there would be no Fed and, and interest rates would float. Interest rates this is the rent you pay uh, to, uh, to have somebody else's money. And it should be supply and demand rather than commanded from on high. If the lessons of the 20th century have taught us anything, they've taught us that central planning doesn't work. It makes things more expensive. Well, yeah, and then and with those chickens are coming home to roost. Well, the reason I ask is because you know Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and a handful of other uh, kind of new conservative standard bearers seem to give more lip service to things that we care about. You know, kind of a, an America first policy, uh, fiscally sane, not not so militaristic, a little bit lighter on the drug war. Uh, you know, it's just they seem to be inching towards us, whereas the left, the Democrat Party, has sprinted away. Uh, so yes. I know I know a lot of people, uh, you know the people that you have just named are taking baby steps uh, in our direction. Right, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi. I honestly believe the two of them are are in their hearts moderates. Have allowed the left to pull them hard to the left because without AOC and her her crew, they're a minority. She she has them, uh, you know, in in her grasp. Yeah. Bernie Sanders is more intellectually honest than AOC and, and the crew uh, in the House. Bernie, uh, I think, was the only Democrat to vote against this $250 billion giveaway to the computer chip manufacturers because he called it corporate welfare. That's exactly what it is. 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it really, really amazing. And uh, you can't help but notice the correlation between the CHIP Act, which I believe is about, you know, domestic uh, chip production and Taiwan, which is the number one chip manufacturer in the world. It, like all of these things play together. Anyways, right. uh, Maybe I, this I really... Maybe Pelosi's going to Taiwan to make an investment. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's actually the best thesis I've heard about as to why she yeah. needs to go there. Nancy, if you got a tip, give it to us. <laughs> My 401k is being annihilated. I need the help. Give me a tip. Oh, uh, anyways, thank you so much, Judge Knapp. Everybody, go subscribe to Judging Freedom. Check out those interviews he's done over the past couple of weeks with all of the, the best an an analysis on Ukraine. It is invaluable to me, and I think it will be to you as well. Anything else you'd like to leave the audience with? No, no, it's a pleasure to be with you, Clint. I love these Thursdays, and I'm already looking forward to next week. All the best, my friend. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I certainly did. I really appreciate the continued support. As always, if you want to support my work, 5, 10, whatever bucks a month you want to throw my way so that I can help with marketing to grow the audience, to get this message to more people, very easy way to do so. Before the recession really hurts your bottom line, send me a couple bucks. You know what I'm saying? Go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And you can sign up to become a supporting member over there. In fact, my most recent episode, the video version was not on YouTube because we talked about stuff you cannot. <laughs> you cannot. That was with Richard Grove of uh, Grand Theft World. It's a great episode. If you want to see the video version, it is up there right now. All you have to do is become a supporting member at any tier. Doesn't matter. The cheapest level, you can go check it out. I also do AMAs over there every month where you get to come on stream with me to discuss whatever you want. Investment ideas, business prospects, uh, the future, the apocalypse, religion. We can pray together. We can meditate. Whatever you want to do. Go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I will see many of you at uh, Young Americans for Liberty Revolution in Orlando, August 4th through 6th. And then after that, I I don't know. I haven't looked at my schedule for a while. But you guys know about the, the schedule coming up. Adam Krigler, Josie, the redheaded libertarian, Dave Smith, Sticks, Hex, and Hammer, 666. Uh, Alex Stein. It's going to be crazy, man. Judge Knapp, as always. It's going to be it's gonna be crazy. I am living the dream. Thank you guys so much. I'll catch you soon. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feppin' A typo in Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcaster sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit A win over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government, just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky's Mouton was the only sound Getting so hot 
must be air July Screaming in the mic, I rip a 59 Miles to race, show that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war, but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows, so don't get treated like a hoe